This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Greetings, folks. Last week we heard about the reopening of Red Cross Red Book Shop in their new, brighter and larger premises in Church Street opposite the fire station. Today we hear from Mary Nash, a long-term booksorter for Red Cross, with some reviews of a few bargains available. Welcome, Mary. Thank you. It's nice to be here. (laughs) So um, on my list that you've given me here, you're um, going to talk about guilty men? Yes, that sounds very odd. Um, I've got a a small number of books lined up for you, Anne. And I'd like to start by saying I don't normally read war books. It's not my my sort of genre, but... um, because we're moving, in the process of moving at Red Cross, all our um, books and things are in the process of flux. So I'm not quite, I wasn't quite sure what to find. And I take books home every day to price. And so I had an odd bag of books and I dived into it and they were all war books. So I thought, okay, well, they'll have to be war books. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> and because I do the, um, because I price books published before 1950, they're all written either during the war or in the last few years after the war, or the f- first few years after so, the war. So they're um, factual rather than fiction? Uh, yes, they are, yes. Right. So they are indeed. One person has written a book that sounds like fiction, but it is fact. <laughs> well, often the fiction is based on fact, isn't it? Yes, so, that's right, yes. So now to so Guilty to Men. Guilty Men. Well, Guilty Men was the first one that came out of the bag. And, and actually, it's not quite true. I put them in, uh, in chronological order. So Guilty Men uh, was published in 1940, and it's by Cato, in inverted commas. So, of course, I went to Google and looked at Wikipedia and found that Cato was not an author. It was three journalists, um, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. So Guilty Men is a short book published in Great Britain in July 1940, and it attacked the British public figures for their failure to rearm after the First World War and for their appeasement of Nazi Germany in the 1930s. This is Wikipedia speaking. And it says it's a classic denunciation of former government policy and it shaped popular and scholarly thinking for the next 20 years. So it was a very influential book. And uh, I had no idea I had such a little treasure in my bag when I pulled it out. The book was written in seven days, apparently, by three journalists of different political leanings, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, all three were horrified by what they witnessed um, of the retreat from Dunkirk. They gave themselves a pseudonym Cato, and the opening chapter provides a really gripping account of what happened at Dunkirk. And the men, the, the public was so horrified, and the men were so angry, and they were journalists, so they, they knew what was happening. Uh, they identified a number of guilty men to blame for the disaster. So this was an attack on members of the national government before Winston Churchill was elected as Prime Minister in May 1940. So it's all all happened in a very short space of time. Uh, most of these guilty men were conservatives. That's our National Party sort of thing. 
although some were national liberals and one was Ramsay MacDonald, the former leader of the Labour Party. So these are the men that the authors held accountable to the public for what happened at Dunkirk, where the, the, the British Army and the British Navy and the Air Force were completely outnumbered by the uh, German forces. Uh, Britain found herself trying to defend herself from the German armies. And these men compared the budgets of Germany, France and the UK, preparing for and servicing the war. And Britain had seriously underestimated the necessary budget for arms. This is a short book. It's published by Victor Golanks. And our copy is in good condition. I'll just say about Victor Golanks, he's a, a very well-known British publisher and a very influential one. And uh, my husband collected a whole series of books that he published, um, the Left Book Club books, which were socialist books. And they came out in the 1930s and 40s. And, uh, and they were very uh, – you couldn't buy them on the, on the open market. You had to subscribe to buy them. And uh, we, my husband collected them. He was able to buy them as second-hand books. So we've got three shelves, and it's the only thing my children really, really want to inherit when I die. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, Victor Golanks, um, yeah, uh, the book itself that I've got, the copy, is stamped on the front page with a message from the Lord Provost of, of Edinburgh, that's the Lord Mayor of Edinburgh, dated 1943, giving the book to the services everywhere. I thought that was a really interesting uh, little touch because, of course, the Lord Provost of Edinburgh is um, is very much establishment, a very much an establishment figure, and he's uh, he's trying to get this book out to a wide range of people. So that's Guilty Men, which I can I can recommend. It's it's. Um, and what sort of price is that? Oh one? well, we're we're selling it for ten dollars, which is cheapest chips. <laughs> <laughs> yes, always it's, bargain books. Uh, you pay a bit more yes, for the priced um, ones, but they're still bargains. It's not a first edition. It was published in nineteen forty. And between the, it was first published in July 1940, and this copy is the 18th impression, August 1940. So you can see that there was a great demand for the book as soon as yes. it was published. It was very interesting. Right, so that's number one, Guilty Men by yes. Cato, which is in fact three, three journalists. journalists. <laughs> right, our second book, or your second book, uh, is um, called PQ17. Yes, so PQ17 by Godfrey Wynne. Uh, that was uh, first published in 1947. This edition is published in 1948. Um, so in 1939, Godfrey Wynne was the first British war correspondent to cross the Maginot Line, which was an elaborate defensive barrier in northeast France, constructed in the 1930s and named after its principal creator, André Maginot, who is France's Minister of War. Now, Godfrey Wynne served as a Royal Navy able seaman during the Second World War, training at HMS Ganges, and he became a commission candidate wartime before injury led to his medical discharge. PQ-17 was an account of his experience as a journalist on convoy PQ-17 during the Second World War. That was the code name for an Allied Arctic convoy. And if you know anything about the Arctic convoys, you'll know that they were they were really, really hard things to be on. Cold, dangerous, and sometimes just a terrible, terrible attrition of um, ships and sailors. 
So on the 27th of June 1942, the ships sailed from Iceland for the port of Arkhangelsk, which I think is Archangel, in the Soviet Union. The convoy was located by German forces on the 1st of July, so just after it had set out, and it was shadowed continuously and attacked. It is regarded as the greatest convoy disaster in the war and worth looking up on an, on, a, on a website called U-Boat.net. U-boat.net. Um, very fascinating and, and quite tragic. Now, in the prologue to this book, Wynne writes about the dilemma he faced when he got home uh, after the war. Should he go back to being a journalist or should he write an account of his experiences as war correspondent on PQ-17? Now, I've, I, I, he, he decided to write the book first and then go back to the newspapers. He was put under a lot of pressure from his former un- newspaper editor to go back into journalism. But in the end, he, he argues in the book that he felt he owed it to the men on, on PQ-17 who gave so many of them gave their lives for the war effort that he would write this um, this account, which immediately after the convoy, after he'd got back to to the UK from the convoy, he had tried to get his account published, and it had been torn up by um, by the war office, and the censor um, office refused to let him do that. So um, he wanted to ensure that those who died on convoy service. Their work was not forgotten. It could easily have just disappeared into nothingness. Well, I didn't know much about it myself, though I had heard a little bit. He has an engaging writing style, and his decision to honour the bravery and sacrifices made by so many seamen on convoy service is well served by this book. He writes with tension, humour and sensitivity, and one can feel the horror of suspense, waiting to be torpedoed watching as ships in the convoy sink beneath the freezing waters of the Arctic Sea. As with guilty men, it is an indictment of war, albeit a memorial to bravery. So it's not glorifying war at all. Neither of these two books have done that. But I have to say, I finished, I finished reading guilty, uh, I finished reading, um, not guilty men, I finished reading this particular book, PQ-17, um, after not being able to put it down whilst I was reading it. It was so... So horrifying. Very engaging. But. It was very engaging, but very tragic. And obviously Godfrey wins writing with his heart and his pen because he, he, he really got to know the people on the ship. It must have been hard for him to know that a lot of them didn't survive. It was hard. It was very hard indeed, yes. And and you know, a lot of them were his, his friends. So yeah. what sort of price is on that one? Oh, that one's $15. 15 Yes, 15 one five. And these will be found in the bookshop in what sort of area? I'll put them in the bookshop. Um, I've asked if we can find a space in the window for them. Um, yeah, so they'll probably be in the in in one on display in one of the little um, squ- square places in the window. You'll see what I mean when you get to the window. Uh, so we've got a great big front. Go down to the Red Cross bookshop opposite the fire station there in Church Street. You'll be able to find these books, Guilty Men and PQ17, which we've heard about. I'm, I'm quite inspired to read them myself, actually, Mary. <laughs> yes. So, so we'll, we'll um, now sort of go, go on to the third book. So 
And only the stars are neutral. That sounds something similar to uh, um, migrations and things like that. But uh, because it's a war book, I guess it's nothing to do with migrations. No, not really. Um, it's it's got a very uh, old-fashioned sort of cover. Uh, it's all words on the cover, and it's by Quentin Reynolds. And I found these these guys were very difficult to find out much about them. They were quite private in a way. Or maybe we just weren't so nosy in those days. But anyhow, it's the first. this book is the first edition. It's also costing $15. And the front cover advertises this book as a story written by one of America's great reporters of the winter of 1941-42 in Moscow and, and Kubyshev. I don't know how to pronounce that. His flight to Cairo is covered in it with Litvinov, the Soviet People's Commissar for Foreign Affairs and Steinhardt, and his first-hand and breathtaking account of the battle against Rommel's tanks in the North African desert. The author invites the reader to enter the story with him as fellow adventurer, rather than as an academic. So this again is another book written more from the heart than the head. His words in the preface are worth reading out loud, and perhaps they will stir some enthusiasm in the listener to become a reader. So this is this. I'm reading from his, his own writing to invite you to join him in the book. If you want to spend some time with Churchill at his home and listen to him talk and joke over his after-dinner brandy, if you wish to come into the Kremlin and meet Stalin and Molotov and, Vish- and Vyshinsky and Voroshilov, if you wish to watch the greatest brain surgeon in Russia take incredibly large bits of shrapnel from the Medulla Oblongata, if you wish to spend a night in the pubs in the mess, and in the air with the RAF night fighters. If you wish to come behind the scenes and listen to our arguments with censors in half a dozen countries, if you wish to spend one hellish night, if vicariously, watching London bombed on the worst night of her Gethsemane, the night I believe that Britain won the war, if you wish to watch the tanks battle in the western desert, if you wish to lie in a three-foot-deep trench, shuddering as shells falter over you to drop 50 yards away, if you want to know what it feels like to lie with your nose in the sand and with your toes curled tensely as five aeroplanes dive-bomb you for nearly an hour, if you wish to drink with us and play with us and argue with us in bars from Fleet Street to Cairo, and if by any incredible chance you want to know what sort of life a foreign correspondent actually lives in wartime, come along, because that is the tenuous texture out of which this book is made. I think he says it all. <laughs> I'm not sure whether I want to join, the, join him or not. <laughs> so I, I've, I've, those are the three books that I've dived into most deeply. Um, the, I came to the conclusion that war correspondents were very, were very significant recorders of what went on, both behind the scenes and in action. They were very brave because they were unarmed. And they, they, were, they were spectators. And this is one of the qualities I particularly like in the books I have so far reviewed. The ones I have chosen are eyewitness accounts of the war, and um, as such, you 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 know that they've got they capture the feel of what was going on. So the n- another book I have here is called No Stars to Guide, and that's by Adrian Seligman, and it was written in 1947. It's the first edition, and has a lovely cover and it's a beautifully illustrated book, and it cost twenty dollars. Um, 
Seligman writes with energy and his love of life and its adventure comes through on every page. He's, he's, he comes across more as an adventurer. But he, um, he was a, also a brave man and a sailor. And um, his, his picture of the war is kind of <laughs> very informal. Um, not not like the German Nazi army, which was so formal and um, and disciplined, and you know, his, he seems to Goose, fall into precisemus. Yes, exactly. He seems to fall into um, things. Anyhow, his book is an account of his part in sailing Russian ships from the Bosphorus across the Aegean Sea, which was patrolled by enemy ships, and into the safer waters of the Mediterranean Sea. He, 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 he was never sure why he was chosen to do this with um, the, the, the captain of a merchant navy uh, ship who was also t- taken aside to do this mission and another mate of his who, who was, I don't think he really liked, but he was, he was a good value as well, very brave. There were three brave men. Um, John, the merchant navy guy, was um, pulled into this, protesting but he was actually very capable of looking after the ship that he had to to look to manage which was which was an icebreaker and he was supposed to get these ships under enemy eyes um all the way down the coast of turkey which was neutral at the time between the the turkish shore and the uh, greek islands which were now occupied by the Nazis. So it was not easy at all. And um, uh, he, this guy, Quentin, um, Adrian Seligman, and the ship's captain hugged the coast, sailing the icebreaker, and they escaped time and again from en- enemy ships. And it was, that was, the reason it's no stars to guide is they had to do it in the dark and on dark nights when the stars weren't out. So it was quite hair-raising. And the only things they could see was the shadowy outlines of the islands on one side and the Turkish coast on the other. I've actually been exactly where they were for holiday once um, in 2016. And one, at one point they're sailing between the island of Castellarizzo and uh, Kosh, which is t- in Turkey, which is a two-mile s- stretch of water. Well, not far to go. No. Very easy to, think, to, to go aground, I to guess. To think of getting an icebreaker through that when, when it's not even, you know, the, 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 um, you haven't even got the proper maps to guide you <laughs> and you're in the dark. <laughs> it, they were brave men and they were daring men uh, and probably quite mad as well. Um, when, he, when he actually got this ship through to safer waters, um, he met up with his friend who guided his ships. Um, as well, and he'd gone right down the middle. <laughs> he'd gone the outside of the islands in, in sort of bold, much more boldly. But he wasn't. He wasn't looking after an icebreaker. His ships were more easily disguised, and they'd had no trouble at all. So, um, so the no stars to guide is um, is very exciting. I can't say anything else, but it's 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 also true. So, and it's beautifully il- illustrated. So, I, I enjoyed that book. Um, and I can recommend it as well. The, the thing about these books, they're all written by journalists. Uh, so they're very easy to read. They're not academic and, and heavy or anything like that. I just, they're very uh, thought-provoking as well.
Well, I guess journalists are, are um, trained to write things that are interesting that grab people. And well, they have to, because <laughs> <laughs> otherwise they would be out of jobs if they couldn't grab people's attention. So yes. I guess it, it's um, a good thing that they've chosen because um, – and well, not my personal experience, but I understand that people who'd been through a war never liked to talk about them. No, they didn't, did they? And as I read these books, my my father was in the army, and uh, my sister's father-in-law was in the navy, and we never talked about the war, or their war experiences at all. And it wasn't until my daughter got a letter from her from my father, uh, telling her about some of his wartime experiences. Then, and, and he suddenly decided to write a lot of letters to her about them. We suddenly realised what, what sort of things he'd been through and what his experience had, had been like. I, I heard a few because um, Dad had a friend who used to come um, to visit on a Friday night, so they'd sit there over their flagon of beer and uh, I eavesdropped. So I, heard, <laughs> I heard some of the stories. But, yes, uh, I think they're quite terrible, really. Yes, yes. yes. So, well, we've... we've um, Got quite a, a few minutes left, Mary, so uh, okay. um, I believe you have another one. Well, I have uh, another one tucked up. I haven't written anything about this one, but um, I was uh, – because I price these old books and I get all these old books coming through, I call them old books, they're published before 1950, um, one of them was called Pastoral by Neville Shoot. Now, we get lots and lots of Neville Shoot books coming through. If you want a Neville Shoot book, come to our, our bookshop and they'll be there. That's um, a name that I know well. Yes, but I think we all <laughs> grew up on them. So well, just he's, like, he's very popular. Um, I went into the, into our library the other day, and I think the library is wonderful. Absolutely, no mistake about that. Um, but I'm one of those old-fashioned people. I prefer to read a book in, on paper than on the screen. And they've got two copies, two hard copies of books by Neville Shoot, um, and the rest are all online. So if you wanted a hard copy. You'd have to come to some bookshop and buy buy one. Anyhow, uh, pastoral um, is 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 drawn from Neville Shute's own flying experience during the war, and it's uh, it's about the life of a well of a um, a, a, a pilot, a, a, a bomber pilot. I think he's doing Lancasters at night, and um, so you get all all these. A whole different um, series of, uh, of occasions when people get incredibly exciting situations that happen in, over a few minutes. They have to think in, in split seconds and make snap decisions as to how they're going to fly their plane and try and get out of trouble. And Never Shoot writes uh, very well from his own, own experience um, of these sort of situations and at the same time, there's a, a love interest in it. I think Never Shoot always tried to do that as well. But the atmosphere on a um, airfield is well, very well conveyed by him. And this story shows the appalling loss of life again of, of young pilots and their, their their crews as they went over night after night to, to bomb um, parts of Germany just as the Nazis were coming over to bomb parts of England, um, so it's 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 a very exciting story, but it's not based on it's not based on one person's life. It is a story, um, but it's but what happens are very sort of true to life 
things. Pastor isn't very long. Most of our novel shoot books go for about $3 or $4 at the most. And um, it, I think Pastor is actually rather a, a rare cop, a, a rare one. I don't think it, it's, it's it's considered a rather gentle sort of thing. The word pastoral suggests it's sort of set out in the countryside and is, has a gentle rhythm to it. Well, it does in a way, but in another way it's very exciting. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so... So you get the truth of the ups and downs of well, you, wartime. You do, and and, and and I can see why the, why the RAF had such um, why there was such rivalry between the services. So they all had their own territorial approach to things, and, and and they all thought they were the best, and they all thought they needed more equipment, and they all thought they were the bravest. And when you think about it, I've been thinking about it myself. If I if I'm on an aeroplane and someone else is flying it. I have to. I have to accept that my life is in that person's hand. If I'm on a sail, if I'm on a ship, it's the same thing. I can't do much about it. If I'm in the army, I suppose I've got a bit more fluidity, a bit more. A few I can more run options. away and hide in the ditch. Then run away and hide in the ditch, but I might get caught afterwards. So, from the point of view of a total coward, I don't know which I would prefer to be. But um, for sheer excitement, I think the the, the those bomber pilots uh, were very very brave, and they were you know. Much to be admired. Yes, I've seen movies which, of course, are um, fictional, but I guess they're based on fact. And you know, they they didn't seem to have much rest. They were called time and time again, and and it must have been terrible coming back to find out that Billy Joe that was in the bunk next year wasn't coming back. <laughs> no, no, that's right. Yeah, they, um, they did rest them as far as they could. They they would go out say perhaps once or perhaps two or three times a week. But that seems quite heavy to me, and and they would be up all night, and they they have to get their sleep during the daytime, and they they lived on site. They had dormitories. So. Yes, because they needed to be on hand to hear the siren. To yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, or, well, I guess if they were doing night raids, no, they would on, know on about shift. those. Yes, on, on a shift. But the only what they did was they used to shut down the station as soon as they decided to have an operation. They'd shut down the station, and no one would get any warning. And once it was shut down, that was it. And then you you would go out in the evening, and, uh, and anyhow, the 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 the, um, the the romance is between the the fighter pilot and one of the um, one of the wefs, and she's uh, it's very interesting seeing how how they were. It was rather like boarding school. They were each had their own <laughs> dormitories, and they went out. There's no no chance you could go into anybody else's dormitory, and, and you know there's sort of curfews and all those sorts of things. But, well, thank you very much, yes. Mary. That's, well, that's been okay. a, a really interesting session. So we've we've got um, five books there to choose from, folks, and there are plenty more down at the new Red Cross Red Books. The Red um, R E A D means that they're second hand, obviously, so they don't have new books. That's right. Well, yes. there may be some donations that are new, but generally speaking, they're second hand. So. Again, thank you very much, Mary. That's been an entertaining time for me. So hopefully, <laughs> listeners, you found it so too. Thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you very much, Anne. It's been very interesting to come along and talk to you. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. 
Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.